Welcome to this week's Rashi Shear, brought to you from the Bet Midrash of Mizrahi in Melbourne, Australia. Okay, good evening and welcome to the Shear on Rashi. And we have reached um, into the beginning of Chaye Sara, and we're coming to the end of Perak Kaf Gimel. And Bereshit Perak Kaf Gimel is the story of buying the cave of Machpelah, and last week we got up to and including Pasuk um, 16, where Abraham um, listens to Ephron and weighs out lots of money for him. And then we get to Pasuk Yud Zion, which says, Vayakam Sedei Ephron. And Rush is going to tell us what Vayakam means, so we'll leave it untranslated for the moment. So the field of Ephron did something. which is in Machpelah. Hasher Lifne Mamre, which is in front of Mamre, Hasadeh, Bahama Ara, Asherbo, the field and the cave which is in it, Bahala Eitz, Asher Basadeh, Asher Bahogabulos Sadiv, and all the tree which is in the field and all the round, uh, all the border round about it. And I'm going to read Pasuk Lamchet as well. Sorry, Yudchet, to Abraham as a purchase, a name of the Bene. Uh, we'll leave Rashi to translate Bechol Bo'isha Iro as means to say he offers us a something which turns out to be a midrash because the next thing he offers us is a pshat and he says as follows on Yud Zion Vayakom today Efron Tukuma Haita Lo it was a raising up for Liyat Melet went from the hands of a low person to the hand of a king. In other words, by selling it from Ephron to Abraham, that was a raise in status and in stature of the field itself. And that's what Vayakam means. Vayakam means it got up, so it rose in stature. Then Rashi says, the simple meaning of the text, and the field and the cave which was in it, the Chola and all the tree, La Abraham, to Abraham, Le Mikneh, as a purchase. What he means is in this pshat is the usual meaning of the Yakam in the sense of a purchase is it became purchased by a person. The perhaps the best example or a good example is in Vayikra, Perak Hafei, Pasuk Lamad where we, that Perak, uh, which starts with the laws of Shemitah, but leads on to laws, basically, of purchasing things. We read there, uh, talking about, oh, we don't need to translate the whole thing because we need the next words. The house, which is in the city, which has a wall, is sold permanently to the purchaser. And that's what the com means. The com, when it's followed by la conner or la somebody, means the item is bought by the purchaser or by the somebody. So that's Rashi's second explanation, which he calls the Pshuto Shomikra. That the field and all around it was transferred to the ownership of Abraham as a purchase. So that's what Vayakam normally means. And says Rashi, that's the Pshuto Shomikra. The question, therefore, is why does he bring the Midrash to start with? Welcome. We are on Perak Kaf Dalad. Sorry, Kaf Gimel, Pasuk Yud Zion. So the question is, why does Rashi's first explanation say something quite different? It translates for Yakam today Ephron as Tukuma Haitatlo. It had a raising up. And the answer, I think, the best answer I found is something very interesting. So you have Vayakam in Pasuk Yud Zion. And in Yud Zion, there is no purchaser. So we can't explain it as it was established or it, it was transferred to the ownership of the purchaser. The purchaser doesn't appear until Pasuk Yud Chet, where it says, La Abraham, Le Mikna. So we have this sort of dual situation. On the one hand, 
there is no purchaser in relation to the word Vayakam in Pasuk Yud Zayim. In the, on the other hand, there is a purchaser, but it's in the next Pasuk after a break. I mean, a break from one Pasuk to another, no greater break than that, but a break nevertheless. So Rashi's two answers resolve this dual situation. And Rashi's first answer, which he brings first, looks at the fact that in Pasuk Yud Zayim, we have the words Vayakam today with no purchaser. So therefore, he says it's not meaning what it normally means as it was bought by somebody, but it's vayakom as an independent verb, which he explains as to kuma haitalo. It had a raising up. However, Rashi has to acknowledge that in the next passage, it does say la Avraham. And that's why he says the Pshuto Shomikra is that Avraham was the purchaser. And that's what vayakom today means. It was purchased by Avraham. So it seems to be actually a very, very clever um, response to this confusion, if I can call it that, in the Pesukim. So there is a purchaser, but it's not in the same Pasuk. Now, it could have been in the same Pasuk. It's not because there's a lot of words between Vayakam at the beginning of Yud Zayin and Abraham at the beginning of Yud Chet, because all those words are just describing what is the, the land being purchased. But it's the, the fact that Chazal put, or, or, or HaGadosh Baruch Hu, depending on where we understand the uh, breaks between the Pesukim came from, but they, they, they ended up with a break between Yud Zayin and Yud Chet, which we don't need. We could have had Yud Zayin and Yud Chet in one single Pasuk. It would have been long, but not the longest Pasuk we have. So it could have contained the single idea in one single Pasuk. The fact that it split into two means on the one hand, you have Vayakam in Yud Zayin without a purchaser. On the other hand, when you read it together with Yud Chet, there is a purchaser. Hence, the two approaches of Rashi. The first approach is to explain Vayakam, not in the sense of being transferring to a purchaser, and the second one, which he calls the Shomikra, is to say that Abraham follows on from Vayakam today, Ephraim. The next thing that Rashi says on Yud Chet is Bechol Boi Shar Iro. So if we look again at the Pasuk, this was bought by Abraham, literally in all of those who came to the gate of the city. Now we already saw that phrase used in Pasuk Yud, Lechol Boi Shar Iro, which Rashi said meant Shakulam Batlu Memelachtanu Voi Ligmol Chesed Lasara. But everyone stopped their work and came to pay respect, pay Chesed to Sarah. And we talked last week about why Rashi thinks that's the particular meaning of Lechol Boi Shar Iro, and it doesn't just mean everyone who happened to be there. So the same phrase is repeated here regarding how the purchase was done. And Rashi says on these words, in the midst of everyone and in the assembly of everyone, it was purchased by him or it was acquired to him. So what is Rashi doing? So I think one can explain this, at least part of it quite simply as explaining the bet. Literally means in all of those who came to the gate of the city, i.e. all those who were there. But in all those who were there is strange. If again, look at the Pasuk. So it may be a little bit too sort of pedantic, but it literally means in all of those who came to the gate of the city. So Rashi says that bet is not to be understood as in all of those who came to the gate of the city, but in the midst of all of those who came to the gate of the city. I think he's not changing the meaning, he's explaining the meaning, but that is the meaning of the bet in this case. And then he's not satisfied. He adds something else. He says, Uva ma'amad kulam in the assembly of everyone. Why does Rashi say that? Because that's really the point. The point of saying is to say that everyone was watching and it was a purchase, which is very important for Abraham and for the Jews endorsed in the assembly of all the people. They were all like the witnesses or maybe they were all the ones who were actually sort of given the authority. That's not our concern at the moment, but Rashi adds the word Uba Ma'amad to show that what the Pasuk is really focusing on is the fact that there was an assembly, there was some sort of official gathering to oversee the purchase. So first Rashi says, to explain what the bet means. 
And then he says, and actually what we're really focusing on is not just that it was in the midst of everyone, but it was Bama'amad Kulam. It was in the assembly of everyone to give it an oversight. Uh, yes. Um, just on this like idea about we're in the midst of everyone in Benechet, and they mentioned lots of times about this whole ordeal. Um, I don't know if I should just mention it, but I guess what, what's that reason? Like, why I keep saying Benechet? Why go to such pains to acknowledge that Avram had this discussion with everyone in front of everyone, and he waited out in front of everyone, and it happened in front of everyone. Well, I suppose, um, I thought you were asking why I keep saying Benechet, which I don't have an answer. But I think, and I think this Rashi again sort of reinforces it, that this is a momentous moment. This is the purchase of the first part of Eretz Israel. It's going to be transferred to the Jewish people. And it's part of Eretz Israel, which is going to remain in the control of the Jewish people forever. And that's going to be contested. This is all in Chazal. So they were very uh, prescient because we can see what happens today. So that was all going to happen. So it's very important, but this wasn't just a sort of low level I don't know what, what's a low-level purchase, but but uh, an insignificant purchase it was a very significant purchase, and everyone witnessed it. It was very very public, and that gives it more validation and I suppose more eternity, because everyone witnessed. Nobody can then say, "Oh, um, it wasn't official, or it wasn't done properly, or we didn't know about it," because everyone was there. And I think that's what this Rashi, which sort of, as you put it, it distills what the has been repeated in a few times in the parrot to show that everyone was there and everyone was overseeing the purchase. Okay, the next Sukim does not have any Rashi, but we'll read them anyway, especially because there's a point I want to make. So, Pasuk Yutet, Kavar Abraham et Sarah Ishto, and after that, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, El Ma'arat Sadeh HaMachpelah, to the cave of the field of Machpelah, Al Penei Mamre, which was in front of Mamre, He Chevron, which is Chevron, the Eretz Canaan, in the land of Canaan. Now, it's interesting, Rashi on this one doesn't say anything about Vayakam. And given the explanation that I suggested earlier, we can now understand exactly why that is. Because here, just uh, five words after Vayakam, we have La Avraham. So this in the same Pasuk. So clearly Vayakam is connected to Avraham. It means the field and the cave were purchased by Avraham, La Achuzat Keva as a possession of a grave, me'et b'neichet. So again, from the b'neichet. It was done officially. It was a really proper transaction. That concludes Perak Kaf Gimel. And we now start Perak Kaf Dalet, which is the story of Abraham's servant, whom Rashi identifies as Eliezer. I'll just make the point now, um, because that, that the Chumash doesn't call him Eliezer. It's Rashi who tells us that's his name. And in fact, Rashi only mentions that once in the whole parasha, but once is enough. So we always talk about Eliezer going to find a wife for Rivka, for, for Yitzchak. Uh, it's just worthy of note, but the Chumash doesn't actually say it was Eliezer. Okay, Pasuk Aleph. The Avraham Zaken, Abraham was old, Baba Yamim, literally come in days, i.e. old. The Hashem Berach et Abraham Bakol. And Hashem blessed Abraham with everything. I just want to read on for a moment. Pasuk Bet, Vayoma Abraham elavdo, Zakan Beito. Abraham said to the, his servant, the elder of his household, and then he goes on to say, please go and find a wife for my son. Let's go back to Pasuk Aleph and Rashi. Rashi on the words, Berach et Abraham Bakol. Bakol, Ola, Begamatria, Ben. The word Bakol has a gematria of 52, which is the same gematria as Ben. So Rashi, who uses gematrias, by the way, very sparingly, says bakol is a reference to the sun. And then he continues, Rashi continues to say, and since he had a son, he needed to find a wife to marry him, to marry that son. So when it says bakol, it means he had a son. Why does Rashi say this? And probably, well, the best answer, the simplest answer is what else, what else links Pasuk Aleph with Pasuk Bet? How else can Pasuk Aleph serve as an introduction to Pasuk Bet? Pasuk Aleph, if you read it without the Rashi, Hashem blessed Abraham with everything. And then Abraham had a problem. And the problem was he needed a wife for Yitzchak. Well, that doesn't sound like Hashem had blessed him with everything. Number one, if Hashem blessed him with everything, there's nothing else to do. Or even if you don't so go that far, that we don't know any connection between Hashem blessing Abraham with everything 
before Abraham saying to Eliezer, please find a wife. So when if we explain Bakol as meaning Ben, then everything fits. Hashem blessed Abraham with a son. And since he had a son, well, we need the rest of the story. We can ask why this funny way of referring to the son, referring to Yitzchak, why don't we just say Yitzchak? Hashem blessed Abraham with Yitzchak. So perhaps the answer to that is by saying Bakol refers to Yitzchak, it tells us something about who Yitzchak was. He was somebody who had everything, who was everything, who reached some sort of level of perfection. It's dodgy to say perfection, but compared to us, the Abbot certainly were perfect. Um, so Bakol is not just a gematria that refers to Yitzchak, but can also perhaps be a description of Yitzchak. Do you think it also mean um, the reason why uh, it tells us that Hashem blessed him with everything is a backdrop to the Shidduch that's about to happen, that like when they're looking for a wife, it's it's a positive thing for her to see that Yitzchak's family is very wealthy or is, is, is worth a lot. Um, so that when Betuel and the one are happy with it, yeah. Um, I'm, oh, I was thinking that, uh, and I think that's a good sort of counter argument to what I said. You could read it as a shame blessed Abraham with everything, and that's why he was very wealthy, and Eliezer gave lots of gifts to Rivka's family. But still, that might serve as a sort of, in which case you can say, if you read it like that, that's an introduction to the whole story, but it doesn't link Aleph to Bet. Aleph to Bet is a bit jarring. Um, if you want to say, like you're suggesting, that Hashem Berach, uh, Hashem Berach et Abraham Bakol is explains, maybe that should have come when Eliezer doles out the gifts or when Eliezer takes the camels laden with all sorts of goodies. But to say at the very beginning of the story, verse one, Hashem blessed Abraham with everything. Verse two, he had a problem. He needed to find a wife. There's a discontinuity there, which Rashi puts better. There's one more thing I want to say as well. If you go back to the story of the Brit Benavatarim, Peraktet Vav, Pasuk Bet. Vayomer Avram, Hashem Elokim, Matitainli. Hashem says to Abraham, what can you give me? Sorry, Abraham says to Hashem, what can you give me? I am going childless. So Abraham pleads and pleads that it's very nice Hashem showering him with, with blessings and uh, saying in the previous verse, I'm going to shield you, you're going to get great reward. Abraham says, what are you going to give me since I don't have a son? But once he does have a son, what does he have? Everything. So Bakol is the son because the absence of a son is nothing. And for Abraham, the presence of the son is everything. Let's move on. On Pasuk Bet. Vayoma Abraham el avdo, zakan beito, hamoshel b'cholashelo. Abraham said to his servant, the elder of his household, who ruled over everything that he had, sim na yadcha tachat yerechi. Please put your hand under my thigh. So the first thing Rashi says is something about the nikud, the vowelization of the word zakan. And Rashi says on the word zakan beito, lefi shehu davuk nakud zakan. Because it is, we would call it a smichut or um, Latin a genitive, um, all sorts of fancy words for the grammatical thing it is. Zakan beito means the elder of his household. So moves into the smikhotation often changes. So if it's feminine, you add a tough, and if it's masculine, you, you might just change some of the letters, some of the vowels, and that's what's happened here. Why does Rashi have to say this? So um, I, I thought of a new idea just this moment, but when I was uh, preparing, um, I wasn't totally uh, satisfied with an answer, except to say that maybe Rashi from time to time does teach you grammar, uh, and presumably the Rashi, the grammar that Rashi teaches is the grammar that he supposes his readers will not know instinctively. So maybe they wouldn't have known why it is Zakan. But I think perhaps what Rashi is sensitive to is we've had the same word in the previous verse, but with different Nikud. In the previous verse, it says Zakain. Rashi wants to be reassured, but it's not a misprint. The first one really should be zakein, but the second one, because it's a smichut, should be zakein. And then Rashi explains, what is all this? Put your hand under my thigh. 
Uh, it's a strange way to make an oath because it's part of the oath process. Why is the hand going under the thigh? Incidentally, when Yaakov asks Yosef to make him a promise that Yaakov, when Yaakov dies, Yosef will bury him in Egypt, Yaakov asks the same thing. And he asks Yosef to, to make an oath um, also by putting his hand under his thigh. I'm just looking for where that is. It's somewhere at the beginning of Parshas Vayechi. Ah, found it. It is in Perak Memzayin Pasuk Kafkes. Okay, says Rashi on the words Tachet Yerechi. Lefi shahanishba tzarich litol biyado chayfetz shal mitzvah. Kogon sefer Torah or tefillin. Somebody who's making a promise, making an oath, needs to take in their hand an object of mitzvah, like a sefer Torah or tefillin. The idea of swearing on the Bible has a good source. Uh, Chazal talk about it. Um, and the idea presumably is to uh, engender some seriousness and even fear that if you're holding something that uh, is an object of a mitzvah which connects you to God, that puts you in the right frame of seriousness for taking an oath and gives you a little bit of fear if what might happen if you don't keep the oath, that you'll you know, get it from Hashem. So says Rashi, in order to tell us what's coming next, he sort of sets up other examples of items that you can take in your hand while you're making an oath, i.e. says a Sefer Torah or Tefillin. And then he says, The Mila, the circumcision, was Abraham's first mitzvah. So what's happening is, and it's a little bit strange, and perhaps particularly strange, Eliezer is taking hold of the Mila of object of mitzvah. So why this particular mitzvah? Why not a Sefer Torah or Tefillin? Uh, Chazal tell us, and Rashi tells us that Abraham kept all the mitzvot. So presumably he would, well, Sefer Torah is hard to imagine because he wouldn't have been able to write a Sefer Torah before the Sefer Torah has been written. I suppose the Parshiot couldn't be inside his Tefillin either. But if he keeps all the mitzvah, we, he can find some Chefet Shal Mitzvah. So why does we use the Mila? And the answer is, says Rashi, Mila Haita Mitzvah Rishon the Mila was the first mitzvah that he was given. So everything else he kept without having been instructed to do so. But Mila was the first time Hashem said to him, this is a mitzvah. Then Rashi says something else. It came to Abraham through pain. And then he says, and it was very dear to him. And he took it. So, um, Rather than taking a Sefer Torah or a Tefillin, Eliezer take hold, took hold of the Mila. Um, just a moment. Um, I looked and looked for why Rashi needs three reasons. And what's interesting, actually, is Rashi is bringing together different Midrashic sources. Well, the Midrash, Midrash Rabbah, brings two opinions. Number one, it was the first mitzvah. Number two, it was a mitzvah that came to him by tsar, by trouble. So Rashi feels that each one is necessary. And I have to admit, I can't find out why. I thought about it and I looked in lots of places and I saw nothing on the subject. But Rashi feels that you need to say, A, it was the first mitzvah, B, it came to him through pain, and C, it was dear to him. And that's why that was the object of mitzvah that was used in this case. There is, by the way, another obvious possibility that we could have referred to. There's another mitzvah that he's been given, namely the Akedah. He could have used Yitzchak himself as the object of the mitzvah, but he didn't. So Rashi's explained why not? Because the Mila was the first mitzvah. The mitzvah of Mila came before the mitzvah of the Akedah. So Rashi, that's why Rashi says it was the Haita mitzvah Rishona. Uh, there was no, just Natla. Is that in reference to Eliezer? Yes, Eliezer took it. It's the same verb that Rashi used at the beginning of, of the piece. Lefisha Hanishvat Litol. He needs to literally take or take hold of. So he uses that same word at the end. Eliezer took hold of it. I had a suggestion, but it only works if, if Rashi's reasons are in an opposite order. Mm -hmm. Because Yitzchak also came to him through pain. Correct. Yeah. And is dear to him. Yes. But it wasn't the first mitzvah. Yes. But, and that would say why Rashi has to give all three. But, but if he starts with the first... Think, but it's weird that he starts with the first If he starts with the first mitzvah, that's all he needs to say. Yeah. Yeah. So, and particularly when I saw that these are two different shittah in the Midrash, and Rashi brings both of them, um, I'd love to know why. But uh, I... I uh, 
leave that to everyone else for homework. Which one did the midrash? Which two did the midrash bring? Uh, the first two. I didn't see the chaviva. It may, may have been there, but I didn't see it. But I did see quite explicitly mitzvah Roshona and tzar. Okay, so that's why um, he takes his thigh. I put his hand under his thigh and takes hold of the meal. Now, by the way, you might ask, why does Yaakov use the same chayfet shor mitzvah, the same mitzvah object? Because that doesn't apply to Yaakov. It wasn't the first mitzvah that Yaakov received. Um, well, it was the first mitzvah Avram received. Uh, um, so it, he had it through tzar as well. He didn't, well, he didn't really. He had it when he was eight days old, so it didn't come through tzar. Um, so it could well be that after Abraham establishes it as an ideal way to make an oath, that then becomes the paradigm which other oath takers use as well, even though they don't have the same reasons. Well, they might have chaviva. They might have chaviva, yes. I'm just trying to think. Uh, Yaakov didn't have other mitzvahs. Well, he had the, uh, I suppose he had the um, Gitanasha. Yaakov did have the Gitanasha. He had another mitzvah. Which is given, that's the thigh. That's don't that eat the Oh, but it's not his thigh, the animal's thigh that so you don't really eat. To... No, it damaged his thigh. Oh, it damaged so his thigh. Yeah, but the mitzvah rabbit. is, the mitzvah is don't eat the thigh, the sinew in animals. So, yeah, and it's also tachat yurechi, it's under my yeah. thigh. It looks exactly like Abraham. It looks like yeah. the same thing. Right, so, just, yes. Not, not to be too graphic by any means, but yurechi itself, is that just, is, has it been very much... Um, it's a euphemism. Yeah, like, yeah. like very much so. It's watered down by Askel, I guess. No, it's not. Yeah. Uh, the word duration is in the Chumash. No, okay. no, no, I know. I'm saying the English translation, though. It like, means thigh. Like, no, it means oh, thigh. Okay. The, the oh, translation is correct, it. but it's a Loshanaki referring to the actual okay. Mila. Okay. Loshanaki, a nice expression, a clean expression, yeah. if you like. Okay. So, um, interestingly enough, Rashi sort of takes a break for the next um, four Psukim, but we will read them. Uh, in Gimel, the Ashubiacha, the Hashem, I will make you swear by Hashem, Remember, from the daughters of the Canaanites, amongst whom I key, but to my land and to my, let's translate this as birthplace. Remember that. Telech, you shall go. And you shall take a wife for my son for Yitzchak. The servant said back to Abraham, Perhaps the woman will not want to go after me to this land. Back here, back to Israel. Should I return your son to that land, that you came from? And the answer comes, Abraham says to him, take heed, lest you return my son there. So Rashi's got nothing to say on all of that, but now let's come to Pasuk Zion. Hashem Elokei Hashemayim, God, the God of heaven, Asher Lokachani Mi Beit Avi, Ume Eretz Moladati, who took me from the house of my father and from the land of my birthplace, the Asher Diberli, and who spoke, I'll translate it as to me, but Rashi's going to change that, the Asher Nishvali, and who swore to me, Lemora, saying, Lazaracha Etein Eta Eretz Hazot, to you, to your seed, rather, I will give this land. So that's all a description of Hashem. And what will Hashem do? Who? He will send his angel before you. And you will take a wife for my son from there. There is going to be a problem. We'll see. We'll explain that in a moment. So, yeah, Eliezer asks in Hey, what's going to happen if? the woman who is the right wife doesn't want to leave her country. Then he says in Vav, how about I take Yitzchak over there? To which Hashem says, uh, to which Abraham says, no, that's why the suggestion was in Hay as well. Abraham in Vav says, absolutely not. And then Abraham in Zion says, you won't need to because Hashem will help you. And he gives a long description and introduction to the, who is Hashem. Hashem will okay, Hashem. Says Rashi, 
השם אלוקי השמיים אשר לקחני מבית אבי. ולא אמר, ואלוקי הארץ. And he didn't see, say, God of the land. He said, God of the heaven. Now this raises two related questions. We're in the same question, but they really come from two sources. One, God is the God of heaven and earth. That should always be the case. But the case is much stronger, and Rashi is pointing out that in Pasuk Gimel, just for Psukim earlier, it said, Hashem Elokei HaShemayim Elokei HaAretz. So as usual, when there's something which is similar but different, Rashi zeroes in and explains why it's similar but different. So he says here, But above, I will make you swear. Incidentally, I've just noticed that Rashi doesn't quote the key words. He just gives the introduction. The Ashbiacha. In the Ashbiacha. In the Ashbiacha. In the Ashbiacha. Excellent. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, you're also, which I don't know. So, what's the answer? Why was it then Eloke Hashemayim? Sorry, was it there Hashemayim Ba'aretz? And here it's just Shemayim. So, he says, Harashi says, he said to him, Abraham says to Eliezer, Achshav, who Eloke Hashemayim Ba'aretz? Ha'aretz. Now, it is the God of heaven and the God of earth. So if you look in Pastor Gimel, Abraham's talking in the present tense. I will make you swear now by Hashem, who is now Elokei HaShemayim Elokei HaAretz. However, oh, and why is he Elokei HaShemayim Elokei HaAretz? Shehil Gautiv Vathi Habriot. Because I have made his name, as it were, regular in the mouth of society. In other words, I, this is towards the end of Abraham's life, or certainly towards the end of his active period. I have spread the message of Hashem. And people know about Hashem. People on earth know about Hashem and they talk about Hashem. So it's now the case that Hashem is Elokei Hashemayim Velokei Haaretz. However, going back to Rashi, Aval, Kachani, Mibetavi, Haya, Elokei Hashemayim. When he took me from the house of my father, then he was only the God of heaven, the low Elokei Ha'aretz, and he was not the God of the earth. Because the people of the world, literally the comers of the world, did not recognize him. And his name was not customary in the earth. So, Simple answer, but with a very profound idea. The simple answer is in Pasuk Zion, Abraham is doing a recap of what happened previously. Hashem, who took me back in Perikud Bet, back at the beginning of Lechacha. That was a different era. So when the period of which we're talking, when Hashem took me, then he was only Elokei Hashemayim. So that Rashi has answered the question. There's an obvious contrast, but Rashi's pointed out, really, it's a case of chronology. That Pasuk Gimel is talking in the present and Pasuk Zion is talking in the past when Hashem had a different level of knowledge or rather people had a different level of knowledge of Hashem. So the other thing I want to say is um, this change from Elokei HaShemayim to Elokei HaShemayim Ba'aretz is the message of Judaism. Uh, and I think it's no coincidence that it's presented by Rashi as Abraham's achievement. That there is a view that Hashem is in the heavens and he leaves us to get on with our lives however we want. And ho holiness, Kedusha, is found where Hashem is, which is in Shemayim. And Kedusha doesn't have a place down here. The Jewish view is that Kedusha extends from heaven and even more importantly, extends to earth. We're coming out to Parashat Yitro. Hashem, Hashem came down onto Harasinai. Um, and my, probably my favorite Rashi, the entire Chumash, on Perikutet Posakaf says that Hashem brought heaven down to earth. That's what happened at Matan Torah. So the Torah, which previously been in heaven, was now brought down to earth. And suddenly we had this vehicle for Kedusha. We have the opportunity not to escape from the physicality of earth and to get into heaven, but rather to bring heaven down to earth and to sanctify the earth. So for us, Hashem is absolutely the God of heaven and earth. Now it's interesting, Rashi doesn't put it exactly like that. He, Rashi doesn't identify it as 
the sort of more theological theological perspective that I've just given that we sanctify the earth. Rashi puts it in terms of the knowledge that people on earth had of Hashem before Abraham and after Abraham. And it can't be about Matan Torah because Matan Torah hasn't happened yet. And it's not about the potential for Kedusha, although I think that's sort of perhaps being hinted at. It's about Abraham's life work. Abraham, towards the end of his life, is reflecting and saying, thanks to what I have achieved, it is now But I think it's a similar, I think it's a compatible idea to what I was just saying, but Abraham has brought an awareness of God and the potential of what we can achieve by following God, he has brought that to the earth. And before Abraham, they, there was this view that God existed or some deity existed, but only in heaven. Did you want to ask something? I had not nearly as nice of an idea, <laughs> more of like a practical one. What happens if, um, I'll call him Eliezer. Yeah, you call him Eliezer. Eliezer this said, is a Russian ship. <laughs> Eliezer says, um, it's a, Avram says, God of Shemaim and of Aris. And what happens if, when he says of Shemaim, he's combating a Havamim in Eliezer that, or not the Havamim, what he actually thinks that Haaretz is Israel and not outside of Israel. So he's worried that Hashem won't be helping him outside of Israel. So now he goes into a whole spiel about how he's going to help you outside of Israel. Um, he calls and, him a Yeah, and and in yeah, and he says um, Hashem will make sure she's the right person for you and all of that, just to show the higher. It doesn't necessarily just mean Israel; it means all of the world. But it doesn't work perfectly. He could have said Kolar. It's just yeah. Uh, it's interesting. It's not Rashi, obviously. Yeah. Uh, I'll I'll leave it as interesting. Maybe it needs a little bit more work. But thank you very much. <laughs> okay, then Rashi is faced with the phrase Mibet Avi Umeeret Maladati. And Rashi has something to say. And the question is simple. Why the duplication? Why does he give two references to the same place? And Rashi answers by saying they're not the same place. So what are they? Mi beit avi is mecharan, ume eretz maladati is mi or kastim. So let's just remember. According to Rashi, Ramban has it differently. That's why I say according to Rashi. Avram's born in or kastim. He moves with Terach to Haran. And Hashem appears to him in Haran and says, now go from Haran to Eretz Yisrael. So Hashem was the one who called him, as it were, from Haran. Rashi is suggesting here that the move from or accustomed to Haran was also uh, encouraged in some way facilitated by Hashem. So, but either way, there were two parts to the journey. So that's why Mebet Avi is one part, and Me'eretz Maladati is another part. It's the earlier part of the journey. And this way, we can translate Eretz Maladati very nicely as the land of my birthplace. Because, again, Ramban disagrees with this. Rashi says um, that the, uh, Abraham was born in Urkastim. So that's Eretz Maladati. Problem, though, is if we look at Pasuk Gimel, uh, sorry, Dalit. Where Hashem, where, sorry, where Abraham tells um, Eliezer, Ki el arzi ve'el maladati telech. Go to my land and go to my maladati, my birthplace. Telech, you shall go. What's the problem? He goes to Haran. He certainly doesn't go to Arakastim. And I'm afraid say he wouldn't want to go to Arakastim because that's a whole different race of people altogether. So what do we do? Well, actually, it's not so hard because it's not the same place because in Pasuk Dalad it says Moladati and in Pasuk Zion it says Eretz Moladati. Eretz Moladati is the land of Moladati comes from Nolad meaning my birthplace but Moladati is not Eretz Moladati so we're quite uh, able to say it means something else and there it means my family because actually as we will see it's very clear that Eliezer has this sort of dual destination he has to go to Haran but he has to find a girl from Abraham's family. So that's expressed in the words, go to my land, which we know must be Haran, because that's what happens, and go to Maladati, which cannot mean Urkastim, and doesn't have to mean Urkastim, but rather it means my. It's worth pointing out that in the beginning of Lech Lecha, Basically, yes, but there's an interesting comment of Rashi. So in Yudbet, Perak Aleph, sorry, Perak Yudbet, Pasuk Aleph, the beginning of Lechlecha, Vayoma Hashem al-Avram, Lechlecha, Me'artzecha, 
Umimolaradcha, Umibet Avicha. Actually, it's not going to work perfectly because there it says your land and it says your Moladatra without Eretz. So it's, uh, it doesn't work what I just said. It doesn't work here. Um, and Mibet Avicha. And Rashi says, he doesn't explain it at the beginning, but at the end of his comment on Pasuk Bet, even though the, the words are in Pasuk Aleph, um, or not or sort of in the middle of his comment in Pasuk Bet, he says in the word, Rashi says, He's already gone from there with his father. And he's come to Charon. But there he says, distance yourself further from there and go from the house of your, your father. So you've already left Arzacha. Now go further from Arzacha. And I just realized I don't think this works for what I just said at all. I think this is going to need more work as well. Because that means Arzacha is, his, is the first place he's left. I or custom. Rashi there says, you've already, he's already left from there. So how's he, this, this message comes to him in Haran. And Hashem says, leave Arzacha. And Rashi says, but he's already left Arzacha, which means Arzacha must mean Urkastim. So I think we might have to do a bit more work. I had an idea. Yeah. What happens if he does go there? Yeah, Avram is instructing Eliezer to go to both places, go to Urkastim and Haran. But we only hear about Haran because that's a place that's successful. Except yeah, uh, I, I, I thought of that. I don't know if anyone says that. Maybe they do. It's, it's hard. Okay, so he only has to go to Haran because he meets Rivka and success. Well, that's only one time he tells us about. Or he goes there first and they already find success. Yeah. It, it'll be... It, he finds success really quickly. Isn't that the whole... Yes, he does find success really very quickly. So, But you, you could say he was supposed to go to both. First to Haran. And if you don't find the right girl there, then go to Arakastim to look for his... Ferber family. After all, Terach took Terach's family out of Urukastim, so he's only going to find second cousins um, there. Um, it would be odd if that were part of the mission and nothing else was said about it. But uh, we, we, we have got something to sort out here. I thought we'd sort it all out, but I realised looking at the beginning of Lechacha, uh, at least at this stage, there are still questions. But anyway, Rashi, at least uh, if we put Lechacha aside, in Chayesara, he has explained it, that Beit Avi is Haran, where his father was, and Eretz Maladati is the land of his birthplace, which is Orakastim. And we can explain that in Pasuk um, Gimel, um, no, sorry, Pasuk Dalat, Ki El Aretzi, but El Maladati, I would say is the same place. And Aretzi is the land, and Maladati is the family. And it's not called Eretz Maladati as it is in Zion. And yet, there is more on Pasuk Zion. Because Rashi's got something to say on the words for Asher Diber Li. Now, we've translated that, we would translate that as who spoke to me. Hashem, who took me out from these various places, and who spoke to me, and then who swore to me, saying, I will give this land to your descendants. But Rashi says, it doesn't mean who spoke to me. He says on the words, for for my need. This is not a rewriting of our Pasuk. It's a quote from Malachim Aleph, where uh, David is talking to Shlomo, who spoke about me. So Rashi says, means he spoke for my needs. He spoke for, to, to assist me in what I needed. And then Rashi says, Whenever you find to me or to him or to them, in conjunction with the verb dibor, which we translate as to speak, it's explained as uh, it means about. So dibor li means he spoke about me or spoke for me or spoke on my behalf or spoke for my needs. It doesn't mean he spoke to me. The Targum Shalahem, and the Targum that translates any of these phrases, Li, Lo, and Lahem, translates them as Am, Alai, Aluhi, and Alehon. Uh, pause for a minute. And showing that the translation of Diber Li is Alai, about me, because you can see it in the Targum. Now, by the way, if you look at our Targum on our Pasuk, you don't see that at all, because Diber Li, he translates as Malel Li. If you can see that in the Targum. And Rashi is saying, 
Whenever there's a li, it's translated in the Targum as a lie, because that's what it means. So what do we see? Either Rashi had a different gears of the Targum, which is possible, or Rashi's saying, this is how the Targum should translate it. This is what I think would be the correct Aramaic translation. And Onkelos doesn't agree with me. And I don't agree with him. So either way, the Targum that we have does not follow the rule that Rashi is establishing. And now Rashi gives us the basic idea. So if you want to say that the word dibor means speaking to me or to him or to them, you don't use the words li, lo, lahem. You use the words eli, elav, alehem. The targum shalahem and the correct targum of them is imi, ime, imahon. If you do mean that Hashem spoke to me, the Hebrew would say eli and the Arabic would say imi, which means best translated as with me that he spoke with me. And then he says, Abal Eitzel Amira, by the verb of Omer, Amira, Nofel Lashon, Lee Then you can use Lee I have to say that we usually explain the difference between Amir and Dibur using the, he the English equivalent. Amira is saying, and Dibur is speaking. And there is a crucial difference, and this uh, reflects in, in Rashi's parish from time to time that Dibor doesn't, you don't need to know what the person actually said. Reuben spoke to Shimon, full stop. So that's a perfectly complete sentence. Reuben said to Shimon, you would need what Reuben said. Now that difference that you see in English, you also have in Hebrew. But Rashi is telling us something which doesn't translate because in English, you can actually say, he said to me, or you can say, he spoke to me. The word to me works equivalent in both for both verbs. Rashi is telling us it's not like that in Hebrew. If you want to say li, meaning to me, that only works if it's connected to Omar. If you have li connected to Diber, it doesn't mean to me. It doesn't mean he spoke to me. It means he spoke about me. And if you want to say he spoke to me, you would say Diber Eli, which the Targum would translate as you say spoke with me, which we do have in a slightly sort of archaic English form. Reuben spoke with Shimon. Probably don't say it like that, but it, it works. But you don't say Reuben said with Shimon. Okay, so Rashi is giving us a general rule in order to help us translate precisely. But Asher Diberli. Now, I'd also like to point out that it uses the word Diber. It doesn't use the word Omar. And it doesn't say what Hashem said. Now, there's two points to say about this. Number one, but Rashi, by translating Lee as Lutzarki, has basically covered what Hashem said. He spoke about my needs. We don't know exactly the words he said, but the purpose of the speaking was to help me. But I think it's also the case that Abraham is not talking about things that Hashem specifically did, except one case, which is about to come, but rather he's talking about the type of entity that Hashem is. If I could say the type of Hashem that Hashem is, that doesn't make sense, but he's talking about Hashem's sort of general manifestation. What has Hashem done? He took me from Eretz Israel. Sorry, he took me from Haran, brought me to Eretz Israel. He spoke about me. He made a covenant with me. You don't need in this point to give Eliezer chapter and verse about what Hashem said. Eliezer just needs to know he's the sort of, that the, the part of the characters of Hashem is generally looking after Abraham. And that's why Abraham is sure that Hashem will look after Eliezer as well. But there is one more thing that he says about Hashem, and this is a historical event. But Asher Mishba Li, and Hashem swore to me, saying, To your children I will give this land. By the way, why is this relevant to Eliezer? Because the whole point is to explain why Yitzhak doesn't need to go out of Israel. Yitzhak's going to stay in Israel. There's another reason why Yitzhak stays in Israel as well, by the way. But he doesn't need to go out of Israel because Hashem is going to give this whole land to Lazaracha, to my seed, says Abraham. And who is my seed? Starts with Yitzchak. But Rashi just uh, Rashi says, When did Hashem do this promising? And this is very much the style of Rashi. If, if a historical event is mentioned, Rashi will tell you when and where it takes place. It'll give you chapter and verse. 
because Rashi feels that Abraham's not going to quote something we don't have a record of. Um, when uh, the Bnei Israel complained to Moshe in last week's Sedra, and they say, didn't we say, um, didn't we say to you in Mitzrayim, leave us alone? Rashi will immediately say, when did that happen? And they'll give, you'll find a verse that, uh, that, that confirms that happened. Sometimes the verse that Rashi comes up with doesn't seem to be such a good fit, but Rashi will always give you the verse. So when Abraham says, Hashem swore to me, saying he will give my, this land to my seed, Rashi will tell us when that happened. And he's referring to the Brit Ben of Atan. Because there were a number of occasions when Hashem did actually either promise or swear that Abraham's children will get the land. But this precise formulation you find at the Brit Ben of Atan. Yes. Is it, was it Yitzchak or Yaakov that never left Israel? It was Yitzchak. Is there, what was the reason? Um, I will tell you. Perak Kafvav Pasuk There's a famine in Israel. There's a good precedent for that. Why? Well, for provisions, because Abraham did. But Hashem says to him, Hashem, don't go to Egypt. Stay in the land. I'm, I'm, dwell in the land which I said to you. If you look at Rashi there, Yitzchak, this is Rashi on Kafvav Bet. Yitzchak's intention was to go to Egypt, just like his father did in the days of the famine. Don't go to Egypt. Because you are a perfect offering. When Yitzhak was on the Mizbeach, he was transformed. He was transformed into something else. He was transformed into an Ola Tamima. And an Ola doesn't leave the Kedusha of Eretz Israel. So, going out of Eretz Israel is not Kedai for you. It's not good for you. It's not fitting for you. So that's the answer. This is the answer Rashi gives. It's the answer that's often given. That Yitzchak was an Olot It can't be that there's something wrong in the Avot leaving Eretz Israel because Abraham did. And Yaakov did, as we're about to see, actually. Because uh, according to Rashi, Abraham is going to hint about that very thing. So there must be something unique to Yitzchak. And what is unique to Yitzchak? That he was an Olot to Mima. Is Abraham sensitive to that fact? He must know it. It's interesting, Abraham knows, but Yitzchak doesn't. Interesting. Yes, I'm just thinking about that. Um, we don't see Abraham making that reference, but it sounds like Abraham's particular hakpada, his insistence that Yitzchak do not go to Haran to join his wife, even though he was quite happy for Yaakov to do so. And according to Rashi, uh, we may or may not get there tonight, it's going to be hinted at in Abraham's own words, the distinction between Yitzchak and Yaakov with Ruach HaKodesh. Um, so why did Yitzchak, why was Abraham so aware of this? So it's likely, it's obvious, sorry, it's natural to suggest it's the same reason that Hashem gave to Yitzchak. So that raises a very interesting question, why Yitzchak didn't know. So in Hashem, when we get to Parashat Toldot, maybe we'll examine that question. So we have finished, finally, Pasuk Zion, and we now come to Pasuk Chet. So having said that Hashem will help you, that doesn't mean necessarily that the mission is going to be successful and that the woman in question is going to want to uh, come to Eretz Israel. Because Abraham now says, if she doesn't, this is what's going to happen. And if the woman does not want to go after you, you will be literally clean from from this, my oath, Rak et beni lo teshev shama. But my son will not return there, or do not return him there. So you will be free from this oath. So what does that mean? Now, what was the oath? The oath was not quite. The oath had a negative connotation. Look at Pasuk Gimel carefully. Asher lo asher That you will not take a wife from the Canaanites amongst whom I dwell. So says Abraham, you go to Haran, you find the right girl, she doesn't want to come back, Nikita, you will be free from the oath. However, 
Rashi says, it's a weird thing because unless you actively pursue that thing, you're, you're automatically absolved from the oath. No, it's not an oath to do something. It's an oath to yeah. yeah, but it's under, you're right, but it's in the context of you going there. But he never, it's, he's yeah, never, it's, it's weird. He never has to find, like, he can, he, can, he can sit on, on the couch and do nothing and he's absorbed, like, well, but, but no, okay, sorry, I, uh, maybe I was a little bit wrong. Pasuk Gimel starts with a negative, don't take a wife from the Canaanites, but rather Pasuk Dalet, ki elad But it does, so I was a little bit wrong, there is a positive element to it. It's interesting, the negative comes first. It's also interesting that you're still right, because Eliezer could just do a half-hearted attempt and then say it didn't work, and, and we'll come back to that idea. But meanwhile, Rashi says, and this is interesting, on the words, v'nikita mish, uh, mish vu'ati, etc., v'kach lo isham ibnot aner eshkol umamre. And you'll take for him a wife from the children, from the daughters of aner eshkol umamre. Who are aner eshkol umamre? They are the mates of Abraham. Um, they are mamre as in... Um, um, no, as in uh, that he's the, they're the one that he's been with um, in the war of the kings. Um, they're the ones that he wants to be different with. Yeah, okay, it is. And that's in the middle of the war. He's sitting in the plain of Mamre, and Mamre is the brother of Eshkol and the brother of Aner. The Haim Bali Brit Avram. And they are the mates of Abraham. Okay, to use an Australian expression. So, but interestingly enough, we're told there, Mamre is Ha'emori, which is a subclass of Canaanite. So when Abraham says to, according to Rashi, you'll be free from the oath. You don't have to go to, Har you don't have to find a Haranite cousin wife for Yitzchak. If, if you can't find anyone who wants to come back to Israel, but you still have to find a wife from one of those three, even though they're Canaanites. So an interesting ways of explaining this, what does it mean you'll be free from the oath, but you still have to do a partial version? And number two, if Abraham's so worried about Yitzchak marrying a Canaanite, why does he then say, according to Rashi, and you can marry one of these three Canaanite families? So it's an interesting way of reading Pasuk Gimel, the, the negative part of the oath, is lotikach isha livni bibinot hakanani asher anochi yoshev bekirbo. So someone to say there's two parts to the oath. Don't take a Canaanite and don't take a local Canaanite, the ones at whom I dwell, because they're really bad, right? And then if you're free from the oath, you're free from part two of the oath. Um, sorry, you're free, you're free from not taking ones, the local Canaanites, but you can still take other Canaanites. So if we cancel the oath, we still leave part of the oath. Don't take the worst of the Canaanites. I'm sorry to be a bit judgmental here, but you can take a wife from the good Canaanites, namely those three. Isn't it a bit weird that you can absolve the Torah? Rashi's absolving half an oath. Wouldn't it make a bit more sense to say that Pasuk Gimel is the oath? Yeah. Pasuk Dalad is an instruction to a slave. Yeah. And so he gets absolved of the oath, but he still has his instruction as a, as a slave. For some reason, Avram thinks he has to make an oath to stop him from marrying a Canaanite. Yeah, but the uh, it's interesting. I, I like your approach. Uh, and it's a big question. Um, you know, to say you're free from the oath, but by the way, this is what you've got to do, is, is complex I and mean, it's problematic. But the instruction in Pasuk Dalad is not about... Uh, Mamre and Eshkol, but is go to Kana, go to Haran. That's so, a part of the yes. idea. So, well, what's happening is don't marry from a Canaanite, go to Haran, and if the Haran visit isn't successful, you're free from the oath, but you do have to give, you, know, you do have to find a wife from these particular Canaanite families. It, it's, it's, it's very hard. But I think the suggestion. Um, is that the, the way I read Pastor Gimel as two separate oaths is probably the best, uh, best that I've come across to explain that. Um, yes. So really quickly, why does he use the word Tashiv when he talks about Yitzchak and like returning? Because he never went to Haran. Interesting. Um, but I, I hadn't thought of that. Why does he use the words don't return Yitzchak there? Like, don't come back, pick yeah. up Yitzchak and go back. 
that would be return return yourself unless you say that Yitzchak is the offspring of Abraham so Abraham came from there so Yitzchak yeah. began there okay we do have to stop because it's 9 30 so uh we haven't quite finished Pasuket um the next bit is that reference to Yaakov that I promised you but we will do that next week thank you very much thank you thanks so much thank you Rabbi bye thank you thank you